Well, we, we all say amen to that amen, right? Thank you so much, uh, team. Thank you for all you have done in preparing for this morning and leading us in such powerful worship. Thank you, Tara, for the solo and all the others participation this morning. Near the ancient city of Thebes in Egypt, there is a valley that for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years has been known as the Valley of the Kings. The Valley of the Kings. Many of you may be aware that thousands of years ago was this site that was selected by succeeding dynasties of the pharaohs as place for their tombs. Hard for us to understand how important uh, those tombs of the pharaohs were in that culture and in that understanding. Everything was provided for this one who was considered to be a god-man for the afterlife. And so these tombs were filled with every imaginable kind of treasure. And also some of the most mundane and everyday things that the Pharaoh might need in the next life. Well, there are scores and scores of these tombs, but a few years ago, not too many years ago, a tomb of one of the pharaohs that had been long hidden was discovered by archaeologists. Thousands of years, it had not been opened, and so you can imagine how much excitement, enthusiasm there was in the academic world about the opening of this tomb of the Pharaoh. It was a long process, painstaking, but finally that burial chamber was opened and for the first time in thousands of years, light came in to that room and the archaeologists were amazed at what they discovered there. What they found was that the tomb contained nothing. <laughs> it was empty. Thousands of years before the archaeologists opened the main door to the chamber. Some thieves found another way in, took all the treasures out. And so here was this elaborate tomb, nothing inside, worthless. Well, friends, this morning we are gathered because of an empty tomb, right? But because of that empty tomb, it is filled with treasures. All the treasures of God 
are in that empty tomb, priceless, because the tomb of Jesus is empty. In fact, if the tomb of King Jesus is not empty, then really we're gathering today, not only here, but hundreds and hundreds of thousands, really, of gatherings all around the world today are taking place. And in reality, if the tomb of Jesus is not empty, those gatherings are all worthless and pointless. Now that was Paul's message as he was writing about the resurrection in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul had founded this church. He said that he came there to that city with fear and trembling. But he determined to know nothing else than the gospel of Jesus Christ crucified and risen again. Paul recognized that to the Jewish people, the idea of Messiah crucified on a Roman cross was scandalous. And he also realized that according to the Greek mind, the idea of God in human flesh, first of all, even wanting to take human flesh, but then to rise from the dead in human flesh and live in it forever, (laughs) that was moronic. But Paul said, I've come to preach the gospel of the Messiah crucified, risen Again, because it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. Paul knew that the idea of the resurrection of Christ was under attack. And so as he writes this letter, he writes in this passage that we have in our Bibles as 1 Corinthians 15, he writes to them, To challenge them to think through what it means if Christ did not rise from the dead. And so this morning what I want us to do is just follow the the logic of Paul. I want us to follow his thinking as we consider this subject. I'd like us to think about the empty promise of Easter. The empty promise of Easter. And I want us to see that Paul says there are four great tragedies. Four great tragedies if Jesus is not risen. Listen to how Paul shares this. First of all, Paul says, without the empty tomb, we possess an empty Christ. Without the empty tomb, we possess an empty Christ. The stark truth is this. Without the resurrection, Jesus is a false Christ. If Jesus is risen from the dead, he is Lord and Christ. 
But if he is not risen from the dead, he is a liar and a con man. It's just that simple. If Jesus is the Christ, he could not fail to rise from the dead. He could not stay in that tomb because 1,000 years before his birth, David had prophesied that the Messiah would not be allowed to see corruption in the tomb. The theology and philosophy of our modern world tries to do this. The philosophy and some of the theology of today tries to admire Jesus while denying his resurrection. Admire Jesus while denying his resurrection. And my friend, that is an impossibility. The life of Jesus is not a beautiful life if that life is a lie. Friends, it has been said before, but I want you to understand when it actually comes to evaluating Jesus of Nazareth, there are only three options. Only three. Either Jesus of Nazareth is a liar, a lunatic, or he is the Lord of glory. If Jesus claimed that he would die and rise again and he knew that he could not do it, then he's a liar. If Jesus of Nazareth said that he would die on the cross and he would rise again the third day and he actually believed he could do it but he couldn't do it then he's a lunatic but if Jesus of Nazareth claimed that he would die on the cross and three days rise again from the dead and he did it then he is the Lord that's the three options with Jesus He is liar, lunatic, or Lord. Without the empty tomb, we possess an empty Christ. Here's the second tragedy Paul wants us to reason through. Without the empty tomb, not only do we possess an empty Christ, he's not who he said he was, but we also possess an empty confession. Our confession of this Christ means nothing. Look at verses 14 and 15. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. And your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God. Because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise. If it is true that the dead are not raised. Now, what is the foundation of the Christian faith? If you had to take the Christian faith and bring it down to its absolute essentials, what is the essential teaching of the Christian faith? Well, the answer to that is found in verses 3 and 4. Look in your text. Verses 3 and 4, here is the essence of Christianity. Paul said this, For I delivered to you as of first importance, first importance, what I also received, 
that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. That's the essence of the gospel. But friend, verse 3 has no meaning without verse 4. The fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins has no meaning if he did not rise from the dead. Verses 3 and 4 are the definition of the gospel. They're the good news. But if there is no resurrection of Christ, then the good news is bad news. Because the resurrection of Christ is the great divide between truth and error. Without the resurrection, Christianity, listen carefully, without the resurrection of Jesus, Christianity is just a confession of lies. Think about it. If Jesus is not risen from the dead, we have lied. Even this morning, because we've been singing that he rose from the dead. We've told people, I trust you've told people, that Jesus rose from the dead. If he did not, then we're false witnesses. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, not only are we liars, the apostles are liars. Because the apostles said, we have seen him. He died on the cross he was buried, and we saw him alive again. If Christ is not risen, then the apostles of liar, are liars. Think about it. If Christ is not risen, then the angels are liars. Because what did the angels say? He is not here. What? He is risen, just as he said. If Christ is not risen... We are liars, the apostles are liars, the angels are liars, even Jesus is a liar because he said, if you take my life, son of man is crucified, but the third day I will rise again. And then even God the Father is a liar if Jesus is not raised because 1,000 years before Jesus, he promised that his Messiah, the Christ, would not see corruption in the grave. Without the empty tomb of Jesus, we possess an empty Christ. We possess an empty confession. And then here's the third tragedy Paul mentions. We possess an empty conversion. An empty conversion. Look at four, verse 14, the second part of that. In verse 14, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Verse 17, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Verse 18, then those also who have fallen asleep in Jesus, that is, the believers who have died, Paul says, they have perished. 
Now, no one ever emphasized the crucifixion of Jesus more than the Apostle Paul. He, he, he came preaching the message of the crucified Messiah. And he says that over and over again in this letter. We preach Christ crucified. Chapter 1, verse 23. Chapter 1, verse 18. The message of the cross is the power for salvation. Chapter 2, verse 2. I determined not to have any other message among you than Jesus Christ and him crucified. So Paul, more than anybody else, preached about the sacrificial death of Jesus. Yet Paul makes it clear, without the resurrection, there is no salvation. He says, you are yet in your sins. Now, why is Paul so dogmatic? Why is he so dogmatic? Because listen, he knows what the resurrection is. He knows what the resurrection of Jesus is. He knows that the resurrection is God the Father's response to Jesus' final cry on the cross. What was Jesus' final cry before he yielded up his spirit? He said, it is finished. On the cross, the Son said, it is finished, and at the resurrection, God the Father said, it is accepted. Amen. I accept what you have done on that cross. Your payment for the sins of mankind, your payment has satisfied my justice. What you have done is enough. It is accepted. And the way God put his eternal stamp of approval on what Jesus did on the cross for our sins is that he raised him from the dead. The resurrection is the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophetic vision. You remember Isaiah? Isaiah 53 he prophesied this. He, that is God, shall see the agony of his soul, that is the Messiah, and he, God, shall be satisfied. Jesus did not raise from the dead. He did not rise from the dead. It would mean that God is not satisfied with him. It would mean that sin and Satan and death have conquered and we are still in the ghoulish grasp of them. And all who have died in the faith have perished, have gone into eternity without hope, without a Savior, eternally lost. That's what it would mean. This is Paul's thinking here. Without the empty tomb of Jesus, all is empty. We possess an empty Christ. We possess an empty confession. We possess an empty conversion. And then lastly, we would possess an empty confidence. Verse 19, Paul says, If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. This week, 
I read a, a statement by an author who lived some time ago and he wrote something about his childhood when he was struggling about his real, having real faith in Jesus. Not just a child, but as a young man. And here's what he wrote. I want you to listen carefully. Here's what this man wrote. When I was a teenager, someone gave me a pamphlet written by Luther Burbank, a rather famous man. He was famed for his insights into agriculture. Some of you may know. He was a rather famous man who was an agnostic. He was an expert in the field of agriculture, but in the pamphlet, he was trying to speak with authority in the area of religion. The gist of the pamphlet was that it really wasn't necessary to believe in Christ's divinity or in his resurrection in order to admire him for his good life and for his teaching. The writer says, I was young and inexperienced and lacked the ability to properly weigh his argument, but I was impressed that this great man had some nice things to say about Jesus. At that time, I was living with my uncle Walter and my aunt Bertie. So I decided to try the man's ideas out on Aunt Bertie, who, though she lacked formal training, had an excellent knowledge of the Bible and a profound faith in God. I took the pamphlet into the kitchen where she was cooking supper on an old wood-burning stove. She was making gravy in a large cast-iron skillet and was stirring it with a wooden spoon to keep it from sticking. After I read the pamphlet out loud to her, I asked her what she thought about the idea. Without even looking up from her stirring of the gravy, she said, Jesus was either the Son of God or one big liar. If he didn't rise from the dead, the whole thing's a hoax. <laughs> well, Burbank didn't get it. But Bertie did. God bless Aunt Bertie. She understood something that that brilliant agronomist didn't understand. But any of us ought to be able to understand this. A dead Savior is no good. <laughs> A dead Savior is no Savior at all. We would be a people most to be pitied if we're gathered here today and we believe for nothing and we live for nothing and we die for nothing. It would mean we are gathered here like fools to commemorate the greatest hoax in history. They came before the cameras in pairs. Each had a packed suitcase 
a $5 bill and some quarters and an ID. They each wore black clothing and Nike running shoes. A triangular patch was on their shoulders and the patch said, Heaven's Gate. On the video, one woman said this, we couldn't be happier about what we are doing. Doubt has never been an issue. A man said on the video, it's just the happiest day of my life. I've been looking forward to this for a long time. And a young woman said, Maybe we are crazy for all I know, but I don't have any choice but to go for it because I've been on this planet for 31 years and there's nothing here for me. Over the next couple of days, 39 people used vodka to wash down a mixture Aphenobarbital and applesauce. Why? Why? Well, to join others on a UFO hidden behind the Hale-Bopp comet that was passing near the world. This hidden UFO would be their transportation for travel along with the multitudes already on the UFO who were headed to their next adventure, the heavenly kingdom. According to their spiritual leader who called himself Doe, Marshall Applewhite, they would all soon through that UFO, be entering heaven's gate. Now for days following, in 1997, millions and millions of people shook their heads in disbelief. How could intelligent people be so blinded? And so deceived. Yet I would say, brothers and sisters, even more. If Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead, as Paul says, the people most to be pitied are not those followers of the heaven gate cult, but are people who are worshiping a dead carpenter who they believe rose from the dead and will take them to heaven's gate. Paul's whole message in our text is built around a single word. Do you see it? What is it? If. Verse 12, if. Verse 13, if. Verse 14, if. Verse 16, if. Verse 17, if. Verse 19, if, if Christ is not raised, then this. But thank God the Apostle Paul does not end with an if, right? No, he ends with a glorious is. 
verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He's the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. It's not if, it is, is, eternal, is. He is risen from the dead and he is the first of a harvest of untold millions who will be with him in glory. It's all true because our Savior is not dead. He is alive. He is alive. And it's all true. Because he's alive, our Christ is true. Our confession is true. Our conversion is true. Our confidence is true because Jesus is alive. That's our hope. Not in a religion. It's not in a creed. Our hope is not in any religious observances or knowledge that we may have, important as it is. But our hope ultimately is in that Jesus Christ died for our sins and he rose again the third day. He is alive and he is a savior to all who come to him. My friend, let me tell you something. The open door of that tomb is heaven's gate. And never forget, the angels did not open that tomb to let Jesus out, but to let the disciples in. He didn't need the angels to open the door. He rose from the dead. Glory and power as a son of God. That grave could not hold him. And he needed no angels to assist him. He rose from the dead. And the Bible says this. Here is the gospel. Here's the good news. It starts with if. If you confess with your mouth. Jesus as Lord. And you believe in your heart. God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. By a satisfied heavenly father and a victorious son, Jesus Christ. My friend, I want you to understand something though. Don't misunderstand the gospel. Listen carefully what I'm about to say. Salvation is not just in believing in the resurrection of Jesus. It's not just believing in the resurrection of Jesus that saves you. Listen carefully. It's believing in the Jesus who was resurrected. Satan believes in the resurrection of Jesus. 
He believes in the resurrection of Jesus. But he will not bow the knee to Jesus Christ as Lord. It is not just believing a historical fact. It is trusting into a living person, Jesus Christ. He is our salvation. You say, well, I do believe, I think, but I'm sort of a doubting Thomas. Okay, Jesus knows how to deal with doubting Thomases. He had a disciple named Thomas, right, who doubted. And Jesus met him. And he said, Thomas, stop disbelieving and start believing. Look at my hands. Look at my feet. Look at my side that was pierced. And when Thomas, who had his doubts, came face to face with the living Jesus, what did he do? He fell on his knees before him. And what did, did he confess? I believe in the resurrection. I believe in the resurrection. No. What did he say? My Lord and my God. Amen. My Lord and my God. Now, friend, because Jesus is alive, he knows how to meet with you. You say, well, I... I've never seen him. Well, you remember what else Jesus said to Thomas after he said, my Lord and my God? You know what he said? He said, Jesus, he said, Thomas, because you've seen me, you believe. How blessed are those who having never seen me, yet believe. Because Jesus is alive, he has no problem making himself known to you. The question is, what will your response be? What will your response be? Is it, Lord, you are my Savior, my King, my God. You know what I believe? I believe there are some here today and some watching. You came with your doubts or you started watching with your doubts. You didn't expect to hear a Easter message maybe that dealt with doubts. <laughs> But here the Lord has shown us that we don't understand all things. But we do understand this. Jesus Christ died for our sin. And on the third day he rose again from the dead. And the most confirmed fact in all of history is that Jesus rose from the dead. And because he's alive... He meets with people to make himself known that they might know him in the joy of his salvation now and forevermore.
if you confess with your mouth, if, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, if you believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, then there's no more ifs. You will be saved. Not might be, not could be. You will be saved. If you confess Jesus is Lord, believing that this Lord who died for you is raised up and lives forever. I wonder, is that your story? Is that your hope? What does it all come down to when we come to our dying moments? It all comes down to this. Do you know the living Savior? Is your hope in Him? Not in your good works. Not that you're trying the best. Jesus did what he did because we could not do what we needed to do. Jesus paid it what? All. Is this your story? And I pray today that it will become your testimony. That maybe by the grace of God, you'll be able to say, you know, I'm not sure where I was. I'm not sure in my faith how I was coming along. I'm not sure all the doubts. And I don't even yet have all the answers. But I do know this. That on Easter Sunday, 2023, the living Jesus spoke to my heart. And I fell at his feet. And I said, my Lord and my God. Father, I pray this will be the story of men and women, boys and girls, here, viewing this service of worship. Lord, may this be the testimony. May this be the story. I pray that you would move even in these final moments, Lord, that people's hope and trust would not be in themselves, but be in you. So, Lord, I pray right now that people here would say, Lord, I've had doubts and I still don't understand everything, but I know you are who you said you are. You did accomplish what you said you would do. And I know you are a risen Lord. And I believe, I trust you, my Lord and my God. Lord, may that be the work of your spirit today and become the story of many. Lord, I pray that you would move upon our hearts that this living Jesus would be real and living in us. 
This is our story, Lord. This is our song. We are praising our Savior all the day long. And God's people said,